What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Barnyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the magnificent Monday edition of The Yard. I don't feel especially magnificent. After that ball game on Saturday, we're going to talk a lot about that today, and then we're going to move on. But it's uh, it's very very frustrating. So we're going to sp- spend some time to kind of talk about a lot of things that happened in the ball game, things that didn't happen in the ball game, things that probably should have happened in the ball game, and the fact that now Mississippi State has no margin for error. You know, we kind of gave ourselves a little bit of a, a little breathing room after the win over NC State. You know, we have now uh, kind of choked that away now. And so, and the first thing I want to say before we uh, get too deep into the show, because I, I know there are probably some people listening to the show, and you know, you're not you're not going to hear me grovel ever. But uh, here's the deal: late in the ball game, Memphis made the plays to win the game. As painful as that may be, that's the reality of it. State had a chance to put the game away, and we didn't do it. When Memphis had the plays to make, they made them. There's some other factors involved in this, certainly. But I, I don't want any of this to be kind of misconstrued as some, somehow a shot at, at Memphis. They're a good football team. They're not a great team. They're a good football team. We should have won the game. We didn't. They did. That's as simple as I can put that. And so we're going to spend some time today kind of breaking things down, kind of talking about what's next. We'll have Mike Leach later today. I'm confident he didn't want to talk about this uh, officiating stuff but yeah I I did have a chance to speak to coach privately after the ball game I'm not going to share the content of those conversations but uh, there were some things I wanted to show him some of you sent me but I didn't want to ask him about that in front of cameras I didn't want to put him in a situation that perhaps you know there was a candid moment that would be caught on film or something because there's some things I thought he needed to know and so I, I made sure that he saw those things uh and one thing I'll tell you too about Mike Leach is a lot of people don't seem to understand and uh, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this just because there are a lot of people, we, I guess we all have our own reality. And, but not all that is, is real true reality. A lot of it is perception. But I, this thing about, you know, this, you know, we don't have any passion on the sidelines. I, I heard that about Joe Moorhead. It wasn't true. I've heard it about Chris Lamonis. It's not true. And I've heard it about Mike Leach. 
and it's not true. I can tell you, and I'm sure if you if you are connected to any of our players in any way whatsoever, and I mean, I'm not meaning that you follow them on Instagram or something like that. If you have a personal relationship with any of our players, they will tell you that there is plenty of passion for Mike Leach. People think, oh, you know, he's just here collecting a check. That's just not true. It's absolutely not true. I'm sure Will Rogers will tell you there is plenty of passion when it comes to Mike Leach. Plenty. I mean, Mike expects a lot from Will. And Will, in many respects, is playing before he's ready. That's not to say that he's not capable. He is. You know, we're still figuring some things out. And, and a lot of people out there say, well, you know, because in, in this day, that's how it is. We always want to compare every, each of ourselves to Ole Miss. You know, look at where Will Rogers is compared to where Matt Corral was, you know, at this point in his career. And, and listen, I'm not going to sit here and say that Will Rogers has the same natural ability as Matt Corral. I think Matt Corral is arguably a first-round draft pick, maybe a second-round draft pick. He has NFL arm talent. Decision-making is not always the best. But, uh, but this is a guy who's very capable. But look at where he was compared to where Will Rogers is now. And people forget, too, that John Rice Plumley won the job at Ole Miss because he was a better fit for the quarterback run-heavy offense of Rich Rodriguez. As soon as they hired Lane Kiffin, it's the first thing that I said to everybody that would listen is, you know, that Matt Corral is a better fit for that scheme because there's more passing involved. And Matt Corral is a guy that certainly uh, can handle that aspect of that offense. But Corral's also older than Will Rogers, more experienced than Will Rogers. So he should be playing better than Will Rogers. And he should be. I mean, that, that's just to be fair. I'm sure Will will tell you otherwise because Will's a competitor. But the reality of life is, you know, the guy that's got a little more talent, got a lot more experience, should play better. And he is. He is. Give him credit. But, but this thing about the passion thing, it blows my mind. I mean, I, up, up until last year, I spent every year on the sidelines. You know, a lot of times, too, you know, I'd be down there and Dan Mullen would, would chew on Manny Diaz or David Turner or John Hevesy. And, you know, part of that's managing a football game. But just because the cameras doesn't capture it, doesn't mean it's true. It's just like I laugh about the whole thing about Lamonis, who won a NAFL championship, mind you. They'd say, oh, well, you know, he's always sitting on a bucket. Well, would you feel better if he's in a recliner? I mean, is that what you want? You go, if you watch the College World Series, you saw him riding Perry Costello, and that's, that's you know, that, that kind of goes along with the theme of one of the segments of the show about officiating. You know, with all the technology available to us and the fact that there are, so, there, there's, there are more people alive than there ever have been at any point. And, and one of the things that I'll get to a little bit later in the show is there has to be a measure of accountability. There does. And I, I, I hear and see Lamontis riding officials all the time. You know, I go on the road. I covered all but four Mississippi State baseball games this year, the first three because we were frozen out and couldn't get there. And then the other one was the Citadel. I didn't go to the Citadel because I couldn't be gone for five nights. I did go to South Carolina. So I'm there, I hear it, I see it, and then I see people on message boards and on Twitter saying, I don't understand, he just never seems to be engaged in the game. I'm going to say this as politely as I can. You don't know what you're talking about. And it's the same thing with Mike Leach. You don't know what you're talking about. There's plenty of passion from Mike Leach. Like, oh, well, he's just there just kind of as a casual observer. You you absolutely have no idea what you're talking about. Zero. And, and I say that with as much love and respect as I possibly can. And so that is a false narrative that is out there. And that's what happens when you lose. When you lose, everything is kind of misinterpreted and put under the microscope. You know, so everything matters. And when you're winning, 
nothing matters because all that you really care about is your winning. When you're winning, like they say, winning covers a multitude of sin. And so any aspect of your game or your coaching, you know, style that is somewhat uh, maybe abrasive or, or an irritation to other people is overlooked when you're winning. When you're not winning, everything's magnified. You know, it's just like I remember when John Cohen was our baseball coach. It's like when we're winning and John was out there, you know, John was probably, <laughs> that's one of the things I laugh about too when people say, oh, well, John acts like he doesn't care. Let me tell you something. There's nobody that cares more than John Cohen. Now, you may care as much as he does, but you don't care more than he does. But John would go out there and absolutely light officials up. At times he would even get on our players and, and really, really push them. When you're winning, people say, man, I love his fire. When you're losing and he does it, it's like, man, he's on the kids so hard. Why is he riding the kids so hard? That's why we're not playing well. You know, John's out there making excuses, jumping on the official. It was a good call. I mean, and you don't know what his motivation is. Sometimes he's trying to fire up his team. I go back to the, the Alabama series, and we'll talk about that just a little bit here before we get into the, some football stuff. You know, Brad Bohannon made some comments over the weekend that were interesting. Uh, but, you know, Brad Bohannon, Will Bednar gets a strikeout on a ball that was in. It was in – it wasn't it – wasn't, it was maybe a ball in, but it was a ball. He has a guy punched out in a game, and they're doing nothing. His team has done nothing offensively for two games. So Bohannon goes out there and loses his mind, throws his batting helmet, and gets ejected. But here's the thing. He's not arguing that ball and strike deal. I mean, yeah, that, that, that's the impetus to begin the dialogue. But he's throwing that helmet, and he's raising a stink to get the attention of his team. You know, Alabama baseball, Friday and Saturday, I mean, you know, the gap between us and them was expansive. And so they had so much to play for. I mean, they're trying to get to Hoover. They're trying to find a way to get into an NCAA regional for the first time in a long time. And they've got so much on the line, and they're just kind of laying down. And so he goes up there and he throws the fit. And what happened in game three? They came out there and jumped all over us. And we came back and won the ball game. And so when you see these things or hear these things, you got to understand that there's often a little more to the story. Bohannon made headlines uh, over the weekend basically saying that the only reason anybody comes to start was to play sports. I think that's in poor form. And it, he also went on, too, and he made a, a comment that I thought was rather interesting. It said that none of his players have received a single dollar from NLI or NIL, excuse me. Sometimes all these uh, acronyms in sports trip me up a little bit. But name, image, and likeness. Not a single Alabama baseball player has received a dollar from name, image, and likeness. I don't know that I would have said that because everybody's going to use that against you in recruiting. You know, he made comment, there's a lot of people out there that, hey, they've got all these name, image, and likeness deals in place, and we're not making any money. We're, we're at a scholarship you know, disadvantage, and that's true. Alabama and Auburn in the West had the most difficult time recruiting because of the fact that um, – your know, tuition to go to school at Alabama and Auburn is more expensive than it is to go to Mississippi State and Ole Miss. So a lot of the better players in Alabama come to Mississippi State and Ole Miss. It's cheaper to go to school. You're still getting to play in the SEC, and the truth of the matter is you've got a better chance to win something of note. I mean, of course, you go to Mississippi State, the chances are much better than they are going to Ole Miss, but I digress. But he made those comments, and I thought that was rather interesting. And, you know, let's be honest, Alabama is not committed to baseball. Brad Bohannon is. I think Brad Bohannon's a great coach. But the Alabama administration, not really committed to baseball. The fan base, certainly not committed to baseball. I don't know if you guys know this, and I made this point on Twitter yesterday. Alabama's not been to the College World Series since 1999, back in the Gorilla Ball era 
Jim Wells was at Alabama. You know, they were a team that was kind of riding along there. And then the bats changed, the game changed, and then everybody's interest in Alabama baseball diminished. Now, they're kind of sneaky good on the recruiting trail. You know, they'll, they'll, they've got some dudes. They'll, they'll, they'll be a good team this year. I, I suspect they'll be back in a regional. But I suspect that those comments, you know, about nobody comes to Stargill except to play ball, I think that's something that uh, will probably be remembered because they got to come to uh, Mississippi State this year and play a little baseball. I, I just thought it was in poor form. I really did. And I get it. You know, I, I get the comments about, you know, Vanderbilt and about, out-of-state tuition, I get all that. I don't understand the unnecessary shot at Mississippi State. So that's kind of where we are with all that. Let's talk about Bulldog Burger Company for a minute, too, before we get into uh, what you guys really want to know about. Bulldog Burger Company, great people, great place to work, great place to eat. I love going in there and, uh, about once a week now, about once a week now. It's just it's easy. It's so easy, too, to the curbside delivery, you know, or just to get it to go. They package it up so well. You know, you know, sometimes you go some places and you, you, you get food to go, and they just kind of throw it all in a bag, and by the time you get home, you know, things are all discombobulated, and, the, you know, the meal's not what it should be. It's just not the case. Not the case of Bulldog Burger Company. I love going in there. I love getting it to go. You will, too. You bring it home, you feel great about life. Give mom a night off. Take her to Bulldog Burger Company, or at, the, at least go pick it up to go. Or maybe order and pay for it and say, Mom, on the way home. Go pick that up. We already got dinner taken care of. How about that? Three great locations to serve you right here on University Drive in Stark Vegas. Gloucester Street there in Tupelo and then Lake Harbor Drive there in Ridgeville. And that's the baby. It's a brand new one. Continue to get great reviews, man. And, and listen, keep sending them. Some people say, well, you know, I meant to tell you this. Cool, send it. I get a lot of negativity in life, you know, so when you guys are having a good time, please share. Happy to see it. Go by, check them out. And listen, let me, let me remind you guys, too, of this. Many of you have a Mississippi State student in your family. Maybe it's a niece or a nephew or a cousin, a daughter or a son. Go to eatwithus.com and order some gift cards. Maybe give them a night out. You remember what it was like to be a college student, man. You're just starving. You wish you had opportunity to go do this and go do that. You know, Give mom and dad a little bit of a break, too. Maybe if you're that favorite aunt or uncle, order some gift cards and send them to your Mississippi State students. How about that? That'd be cool, right? When you were in college, wouldn't it be great if you open up an envelope from your favorite aunt? There's a $100 gift card in there so you can take you and a friend or maybe you and a date and go have a nice meal somewhere. That's wonderful, man. That is just great. Many of you have got more money than you know what to do with anyway. So do something kind with it for somebody you love. That's eatwithus.com. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. I don't know how long today's show is going to go. I might go really long today. Who knows? I got a lot to say. I really do. I've been recording this show in my mind, I guess, since the ball game went final. And it was miserable. I'm not going to lie. It was miserable being there, and uh, especially when the punt return happened. And so there's a couple things that I want to say before we get into kind of breaking down the game. And that's the first one I'll say is this, is there is this um, this ill-conceived line of thought that, that – well, you know, yeah, the bad call went against us, but, you know, we left some points on the field. You know, both of those things can be true because they are true. Yes, we could have played better. Yes, that punt return killed us in many respects. Shouldn't have happened. But both of those things are true. 
you know, they don't have to be mutually exclusive. It's like some people feel like, oh, well, you know, we're just kind of making excuses. No, I wouldn't say that's the case. I wouldn't say that we're making excuses. I'd say the reality of it is, is that, you know, we had kind of an unprecedented situation there where a call went against us. And it cost us the ball game. And people say, well, you know, it shouldn't have came down to that. You're right, but it did come down to that in many respects. It did. Now, when we go through the game, there are going to be a lot of situations, too. We left some points on the field. We went for two twice. You know, you kick the extra point there. You kick that field goal there in the third quarter. That's five points. You know, we lost the ball game by two. Now, that's not to say that Memphis wouldn't have scored a touchdown. I mean, you know, that's not to say that the flow of the game wouldn't have changed. I'm in no way trying to suggest that. It's easy with the gift of hindsight to go up and find one or two things here or there. But the reality of it is, is that we have a problem with officiating in the Southeastern Conference. And I'm going to talk about this, and it's going to make some people uncomfortable, and that's okay. That's absolutely okay. It's my show. I can say what I want. You know, I wrote an article a couple of years ago after we got cheated at Alabama. Now, here's the thing. We weren't going to win that ball game either way. But Dedrick Thomas gets called for a phantom block in the back that nullified a Colin Hill touchdown. Now, that's not to say that, you know, that we weren't, you know, we weren't in the game at the time. We were. And we also caused a fumble earlier in the game. We didn't even get the courtesy of a, a re- review. And that's the thing. Oh, man, well, guys, we're so sorry we couldn't get the game stopped. Ah, you know, horse hockey, man. Get out of here with that. You mean to tell me you couldn't get a game stopped? It didn't make any sense to me. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time belaboring that point. But, you know, I, I just bring that up to kind of point out that this is a persistent issue. This is not an outlier. You got, you know, we've had Steve Shaw, we've got, you know, John McDay, we've got all these people that are involved at some point in, in the, the officiating process, but it never seems to get any better. And so I remember, you know, Jeff Batts was the guy that made that call in Alabama. That's the guy. Now, I was told privately after that happened that he was probably not officiating in the Southeastern Conference because of that play. And the rest of the year, he didn't call an SEC game. Now, I don't know that he called one last year. I didn't go back and look. But I checked every week after that because I had been assured he would not call another SEC game that year. Then they would reevaluate the end of the year. When you got a guy like that, makes a call, and I don't even say it determines the outcome of the ball game, but it nullified a touchdown on a phantom call. One of my neighbors, when I grew up as a kid, is a guy by the name of B.G. Lofton. Longtime Conference USA official. Grew up with, uh, with his boys. Chip was a couple years older than us. Won a state championship for us at Columbia High School as a quarterback. And then Chris was a couple years younger than me. But Mr. B.G. used to always say, call what you see and see what you call. If it's not there, you don't throw a flag. That's one of the things he told me, too, that's funny, too, is he goes, you know, you could just about call holding every play. I mean, if you really wanted to. You just about could call holding every single play. you got to decide, does, listen, does it, does it determine the outcome of the play? Does it change the thing? You know, if it's holding away from the ball, is it worth making a call for? More times than not, he says no. But we talk at length about, you know, the, the burden on officials and how you can't mess it up. You know, I mean, how many times do we see somebody pick up a flag, right? And then we get into the era of, uh, of replay, and they say, let the play continue, and then we can correct it on review. Well, here's what happens. 
So let's go back to the punt return. That's all anybody really wants to talk about right now is the punt return. So we get a great punt. Tulu goes down, makes a great play to keep it in the field of play. Martin Emerson goes and touches the ball down. Emerson's knee is in contact with the ground when he touches the football. By rule, that is a dead ball. Happens all the time. Go back and look at return. How many times the guy makes you know, on a kick return and all of a sudden his knee just kind of grants the ground? He's down. Guy dives over the, the goal line. As long as he maintains control across the goal line, it's a touchdown, right? Now, some could argue and say, you know, Steve, he never truly possessed it. I disagree, but let's say for the, you know, for the sake of discussion that I'm wrong about that. Let's say, okay, well, it wasn't truly down. Matt Holloman, the back judge on the play, steps in and is seen waving the play dead. So, apparently, Matt believed that the play was dead. So he starts waving his arms. Now, if you go back and listen to your DVR of the game, you can also hear a whistle. And so your Bulldog players are all running down the field to go cover the punt, right? And what do they see? They see the official coming in waving their arms. Now, of course, when Austin picks it up, he puts his arms down, and then all hell breaks loose, and the guy returns it for a touchdown. Now, along that play as well, you know, they got the thing with the two numbers, which I think the SEC just needs to go ahead and say we can't have duplicate numbers because this continues to happen. You know, we go back to – you know, you can go back to 2016 when uh, South Alabama missed the field – or we missed the field goal against South Alabama. They had two guys on the field with the same number. I don't know how much any of that really matters, but that's the rule. If that's the rule, you need to enforce it. We go back to the Egg Bowl several years ago. You had Robert Kimdichie out there wearing number five, playing running back. They also had another number five playing running back. That became an issue. But there was never a flag thrown. So, you know, here's the deal. And so if it continues to happen, that tells me that you don't care about it. Because, you know, when you get tired of it, you'll fix it. And that's the issue. Does it really impact the play? No, it doesn't. But we got flagged for it a couple years ago. We got flagged for it in an egg ball, if you remember. We did. Was it Malik Deer? I think it was Malik Deer was the returner. And um, we had two guys on the field with the same number. And so Ole Miss is gifted a first down. I don't think it amounted to anything. But we were flagged for it. But for some reason, it doesn't get flagged against us. It's weird. You know, other teams can kind of do what they want to do. But uh, I'm not here to allege any conspiracy. But – we can also people say, well, you know, no, nobody else knew that it was dead. And, uh, well, the, you know, the Memphis offensive linemen knew. Or they thought it was dead because they go onto the field while the, the, quote, return is taking place. And so you get three things wrong in the play, really four. The ball was touched down. It was waved dead. The whistle was blown. Two number fours on the field. And then there's illegal participation by Memphis. That the return puts on puts Memphis up by two scores. You know, we come back and did some things, but uh, but here's the reality of all of this. And I don't know if you guys know that uh, you know the Auburn Penn State thing. They had a problem with down, right? You saw this. They they uh, they missed a down, or they didn't. I guess they didn't give Penn State the, all the downs they were required. I, I haven't. I didn't watch that game. I didn't watch anything except for our game and Dak's game yesterday because I was uh, I was upset. I was angry, like you guys. But the SEC officials 
in Happy Valley, shorted Penn State a down, and they even reviewed it. They even reviewed it and got it wrong. How does that happen? How does that happen? What's the point in having replay if that kind of stuff is going to happen? Now, a lot of people have said, I'm going to talk to Mike Leach today kind of about what his protocol is. And I've asked enough people, and I feel like I've got a pretty good handle. People would say, well, Leach should have challenged the play. I was told that Mississippi State asked about challenging the play and was told, no, it's a scoring play. It is automatically reviewed. So we don't, we don't, I'm not going to challenge it. We don't have to challenge it because they're already going to review it. And then they review the play, and despite the fact that their back judge that is employed by and compensated by the SEC member institutions is waving the play dead, they let the play continue. So Matt Holloman is wrong, and I don't know the conversations that were, that were, that were discussed after that. No, no clue. Not privy to any of those discussions with the officials. But everybody had a chance to do the right thing, and nobody did. Now, Matt Holloman could have gone up to Mark Curls, who has been suspended by the SEC before, and said, hey, listen, Mark, I screwed up. I, I blew it dead. Maybe it wasn't dead, but I blew it dead. And maybe he did say that. Maybe Mark Curls overruled him. I don't know. But I know that Matt Holloman has a, an obligation and an ethical requirement to announce what he did to the rest of the crew. That they're wearing headsets for a reason. You know, as, as uh, Austin's running down the field, he could have got on the headset and said, guys, I blew that one dead. He could have continued to blow his whistle. But that's the thing about being an official, is you don't get two bites at the apple, especially to play like that. It's one thing to throw a flag and then pick a flag up, but to blow it dead and wave your arms so that the covering team stops, and then you let a game-changing play happen, that is absolutely egregious, and somebody has to be fired. Not suspended, not ridden up, not given a paddling, fired. Fired. For life. It's too important. And people would say, well, you know, people make mistakes all the time. Well, not officials. Not, not especially when you have these safeguards in place. You get all these other guys on the crew. I mean, you, hey, listen. You know, one of those other officials could have said, hey, hey, Mark, listen, I think Matt blew it dead. You might want to ask him. But that didn't happen. You got a replay official up there that could say, hey, guys, listen, uh, I don't know what, what, what Matt told you guys, but he's waving his arms there. And then you've got the control center there in Birmingham. So nobody caught it. That's the problem. It's not a human error. It's not one human error. I, I could maybe even forgive maybe Matt Holloman for being a little bit presumptuous with the call. But we put all these safeguards and systems in place to ensure we get the calls right, and, and it failed Mississippi State again. It cost us a ball game. And so how do you make that right? You, you can't. There's nothing you can do. Our record is 2-1. and one. And, you know, the, the optimistic Mississippi State fan said we should be 3-0. The self-loathing Mississippi State fan will say, you know what? We very easily could be one and two. The funny thing is they're both right. We're not a great football team. We can't, we can't overcome situations like this, gifting touchdowns. And we, we, we gifted them one, then the officials gifted them another one. 
But Greg Sankey has to act here. And here's the thing, too, that irritates me to no end. And there are some people that I have spoke to that will disagree with my statement, and that is okay, too. I love you just the same. But you're wrong about this. I believe there has to be public accountability for officials. As I tweeted yesterday, we expect a 19-year-old kid to go out there and meet with the media and sometimes ESPN and everybody else on national television after they drop a touchdown pass. We expect coaches to go in there and explain their decision-making process, their play calls, and how they manage a game. But somehow, some way, the guys that are in charge of ensuring a fair game are immune from scrutiny. It's not right. It's not fair. That's not how society works. Why are they protected? And here's the thing I don't know if you guys know. You know, when the game is over, there is a, a van waiting in the tunnel like these guys or some type of you know, elected official or some celebrity. And so they run off the field, those that can, and they go run to a waiting van and they are ushered out of the, out of the venue and they will run you over. Or they will attempt to, to get out of there. I mean, they're knocking people down trying to get out of there. And they get them out of there. And then they're off to the hotel to change clothes and go to Applebee's with that $5,000 check in their pocket. Now, I've done some research on this, too. You know, some, some conferences play. It's between three dollars and $5,000. The SEC, of course, is near the top of that chart. And so these guys come down here, hang out, get paid five grand, do a crappy job, and then they're gone. And then we never know when these people are held accountable. Like the Jeff Batts thing at Alabama. Would you even know his name if I hadn't made a big deal out of that? You know, I emailed Herb Vincent. I talked to all these other people. You know, sent them a bunch of questions. Of course, they didn't answer many of them. And they kind of give me these non-answers. I at least acknowledge the fact that Herb did respond. But I made a big deal about it. And there were some people that told me they wished that I would be quiet about it. Well, I'm not going to be quiet about it. And I'm just one guy with one show. And you know what? I may have a few people that follow me on Twitter. But, you know, I think you got to raise a stink. When you, I mean, if not, I mean, you train people how to treat you, right? Now, I don't advocate this doxing of people and that sort of stuff. You know, they, you had the thing at Kentucky where, you know, people went on Yelp or whatever and, and uh, you know, rated some people's business bad because they disagreed with a call or whatever. I don't support any of that. I think there's a proper way to handle this. You know, my, my quarrel, again, is not necessarily with the one individual. It's with the system at large. And the SEC has to fix it. We talk about it means more until something goes wrong. You know, this is the culture that you created. We agree it does mean more down here in this part of the country. So we expect our officials to be held at the same level of scrutiny that we hold our coaches. If our guys don't win, we're on them. Your guys lost on Saturday, Greg. Your guys. Your guys cheated us out of a ball game. You say, well, I don't know. There was no malicious intent. Then it's their incompetence. And you're complicit in it. And that's the thing that aggravates me the most. It'd be one thing if it never happened. It was just an outlier, but it continues to happen. And so, and then people, I was told yesterday, well, you know, nobody, nobody really does that. You know, but no, no, it's not true. The SEC. Under Mike Slive, when Mark Curls and them cost Arkansas a football game through an erroneous call, Mark Curls was suspended 
publicly. The entire crew was suspended, I believe, for two weeks. And you know what? It didn't give Arkansas the game back, but I think at least around the league, the reason we remember that is because that's the exception rather than the rule. I thought, you know what? Good. Good. At least the SEC cares. At least they could. They can't give Arkansas the game back, but at least there was some measure of accountability. Well, there's not here. We never know. As far as we know, that same bunch of clowns will be calling another game in the league next week. How would we know? It's not like there's an announcement out there. And so unless, you know, I go through all the box scores of all the SEC games on the weekend, how would we know? We'd never know. And, and so here's the thing, too, that I go back to. You know, I, I've been in management my entire life. I have been. I've been very fortunate. I was very successful early in life and, and moved up to the ladder pretty quickly. And here's the thing that I have learned about managing people. If your people are holding you hostage, you are not managing them. They are managing you. And so if I can go out there and do a bad job, and there's not any true accountability for it, why would I ever change? If people don't have consequences for their actions, they have no reason to change. You mean to tell me we couldn't get somebody for $5,000 a game that is willing to say, hey, guys, I think I screwed up. Let's go back and look at this. Maybe let the booth look at this one because I think I blew it dead and I think Mississippi State stopped. We can't get somebody for 5000 a game just to do that, to have some ethics? You kidding me? There has to be some honesty in the profession, but there has to be some accountability. And so here's the, 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 they, these guys are so fortunate that Steve Robertson is not the commissioner of the Southeastern Conference. Oh, my gosh, they should go to bed tonight and pray and be very, very thankful and gracious in their offering to Thanksgiving to the Heavenly Father that Greg Sankey is the commissioner of the SEC. Because as soon as that game went final and I saw what happened, there would not be a discussion. There's just nothing for us to talk about. This is what you did, and you are being held accountable. There, there, I would not have gone to bed without making a statement. Mark Curls and this entire crew will be suspended indefinitely. And then I'd begin an investigation. And then I'd sit down with Mark and I'd say, you know, Mark, we had this issue with you already back in 2009. We allowed you to kind of work your way back up the ranks. We gave you the Jefferson Pilot game, you know, for years. But you're back here calling a crew. And now here your crew, again, is in the middle of costing somebody a ball game. So clearly you're incompetent. Or either you're not scared of us. And maybe that's the bigger issue. It's amazing, you know, people will only do what you allow them to do. And so if I understand the foundational standard is this, is, hey, guys, you're going to be well compensated. We're going to pay for your travel. You're going to come in here. You're going to be treated well with dignity and respect. We're going to have your back. But you know what? You screw up a ball game, there's going to be accountability. And it's not going to be private. It's not going to be, well, we're just going to write it and put it in a file and we'll just keep our mouth shut about it. You know, maybe the answer is maybe we should pay officials more. And say, here's the deal. We're going to pay you better than anybody else in the nation. And we're going to get the best collection of officials we can possibly get. But here's the deal. Because we're paying you better, we're going to hold you to a higher standard. And so if you cost a ball game, a team a ball game in our league, you're finished. And that's something that's going to follow you the rest of your career. Doesn't it, isn't that how life works for you? If you go out there, let's say for an example, you know, let, let, let's say that you're, a, you know, that you're a loan officer or something, you know, or, or let's say that you're, you're an advertising exec, and you go out there and you have some huge deal that will make everybody's quarter. 
And then in the middle of that, you do something stupid. I, you know, maybe you go out there and you, maybe you cuss out your client. Maybe, you, but whatever you do, you do something to lose the deal. After everybody else, whether it be your bank president or your your supervisor of marketing, there's all these people involved that have a vested interest in making a living, and you do something to impede their ability to do that. What happens to you? I mean, let that sink in for a second. What happens to you? Well, you, you get fired. And if you don't get fired, you get disciplined, and everybody in the organization knows that you got disciplined. But somehow, some way, we got to coddle these officials. It's wrong. Greg Sankey has to fix it. And I don't care what the rest of the leagues do. They're making a difference to me. There has to be accountability in the Southeastern Conference. We can't just go out here and tell everybody we're the best. we got to be the best. You know, I've worked with a lot of people that say, oh, you know, we're the best in the industry. And I'm like, I, I, don't, I don't, what? You know, if you're the only person that believes you're the best, you haven't accomplished anything. And so, again, you know, would you be willing to pay maybe a dollar extra ticket, one, say one buck, a dollar extra ticket to ensure that the officials are paid better? I know people say, well, we need full-time officials. You know, I don't know that I agree with that because what are they going to do in the offseason? Watch tape, watch film? I don't know. I mean, I think that's a, too much of a cushy job. But let's pay them more. Let's pay them more and then hold them to a higher standard. I, I could talk about this all day, but I'm not going to because at some point we've got to talk about the game. We've got a great top ten list to do too. But there has to be accountability for officials in the Southeastern Conference. I mean, think about this. Perry Costello is a, is a national embarrassment in baseball. And that guy called the final game of the College World Series. And he was so bad, even though we won 9 nothing. and I think the fact that we can talk about it, even when we win, points out that it's not really sour grapes. Perry Costello sucks. And he's calling the most important college baseball game of the year? Are you kidding me? How does that happen? You go back and watch the game, and you can hear KP and those guys, Eduardo Perez, talking about how bad the, the, the officiating was both ways. And so, but yeah, we keep rolling these guys out here, man. You know, I go back to baseball. You know, it's just like, you know, Scott Klein. I mean, anytime that I find out Scott Klein is behind the plate, I think somebody's going to set a school record for strikeouts. But we keep doing it. We keep paying them. We keep rolling them bad boys out there. Oh, yeah, come on, guys. We, you mean to tell me we can't find somebody better? And I, I told you guys before, and I guess y'all think I'm joking. Uh... <laughs> We don't even evaluate umpires on how they call balls and strikes. And that's, I know that's mind-blowing to you, but it's true. They're managed – excuse me, they're evaluated on their ability to manage and facilitate a game. That's simple. Never, ever, ever evaluated on balls and strikes. It's incredible to me. The most important part of the game. The most important part of the game. We want to put that stupid pitch clock in. We want to become experts at that, but we can't, you know, we can't manage a strike zone. Anyway, again, I, I, it's going to be a long show, but I'm, let me get into to the rest of this. We'll do the top ten list after we do the breakdown. All right, next segment of the show brought to you by CloseTheBlair.com. Blair's a longtime friend of mine. This is a guy who knows what he's doing. I'm excited about working with Blair. Guy's a bulldog to the core. He has, he's multiple multiple sports season ticket holder. Has a place here. Excited about life. This is a guy, too, that knows how to get your loan closed. A lot of people out there want your business, but they don't know how to do business. Blair does. Top 1% 
close ratio in the country, in the industry, not just with Fairway Mortgage, but in the, in the industry. This is a guy that knows how to get things done. If you're looking to buy a home, refinance a home, perhaps get a second mortgage, look no further than Blair Chandler. Go to closewithblair.com. That's B-L-A-I-R, closewithblair.com. And maybe if you can't remember that, let me give you his phone number. Maybe you don't have the internet where you live. I don't know. Maybe you don't. Maybe you got a, um, maybe you don't have a smartphone. Call Blair at 601-500-2344. 601-500-2344. All right, let's break down this game. As much as I don't want to, let's do it. All right, so we, 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 we don't win the toss, but we get the ball first. And I think had we won, Mike Leach would have uh, elected to take the ball first anyway. We come right out and we start moving the ball down the field. Felt, you know, felt pretty good at this point, didn't you? Well, you should. You know, we're complete to Malik Heath for four. We, and we go to Wally for 14. So we're already out near midfield. Back to Wally for seven. We're in Memphis territory. Man, we're fixing to go score, right? Well, then there's a false start on Jaden Wally, and it was legit. Backs us up, second nine. And then Will Rogers runs for eight, brings up the third and one. Now, this is one of the things I mentioned, too, on Bo Bound's show. I'm not used to a sliding quarterback. You know, Nick Fitzgerald, Dak Prescott, you know, all those guys would have gotten that, that yard. And that's not to be critical of Will. You know, sometimes you got to take what they give you and get down and protect yourself. Because let me be honest with you, we don't have a lot of options behind him at quarterback right now. We don't. Will Rogers is the best quarterback at Mississippi State. Don't need him to get hurt. But here's the thing. If, if we can't get a third and one, we probably don't deserve to win the football game. So we pitch it out to Marks, and he never really has it. Now, he probably should have just fell on the ball so we could punt it, but he's a, he's a playmaker. He's a young guy, too, trying to make a play. And so they scoop it up, run it back for a touchdown. Again, this is us. This isn't them. This is us. You know, we slide short of the marker, and then we fumble a, we fumble a toss. This is a self-inflicted wound. Now, they took advantage of it and ran it back for a touchdown. But this is about our own lack of execution here. 7 nothing. We go right back to work. We're incomplete to Wiley, and we're complete to Marks for 8. Brings up a third and two. We give it to Marks, who I thought really ran hard. Uh, goes for 5 in the first down. We're out at our 38. Then we're complete to Marks for 5. And we're incomplete to Williams. A little late getting it out there. I thought actually this could have been P.I., but uh, they break it up to Williams. We go back to Austin for 12 yards in the first down, a little more of a deep throw there, and uh, kind of gets him on the run, and he gets down the field. Austin Williams plays really hard for Mississippi State. Now we're back across midfield again. J.J. Jernigan making his uh, Bulldog 2021 debut. We're complete to him for two yards. And I'll be honest with you, I, I didn't think he would be the third back, but there he is. Then we're complete to Malik for nine, and uh, Malik's a really strong physical guy, kind of pushes ahead. We get the first down. We're at the Memphis 34. Run Marks for two, then it's a no-gain deal. So it's third and eight, and then we go back to Marks, who gets nine in the first down. First and ten if they're 23, and and again, it looks like they can't stop us. We go to Polk for nine yards, who had another good game for us. We let Jernigan carry it. On second one, he gets four yards in the first down. Now we're down to the 10, then we're incomplete to Malik Heath there. Then we you know, throw it down to Jernigan, we get four, brings up a third and a six, and we get delay of the game. Now, some of this is on Will. Most of this is on the bench. Most of this is on the offense. This is one thing I plan to ask Leach about today. 
we make such late decisions to sub sometimes. And so by rule, the defense has to have time to sub too. And so we may bring in a different personnel group, well, then they've got to alter their personnel and their defensive guys out there. And so the center judge will stand over the ball. A lot of times when he gets up, he gets off of it, there's you know three or four seconds to go on the play clock. And so sometimes it, it bites us. This, this was a persistent issue on, uh, on Saturday. So we get the incomplete uh, pass to Makai Polk, and uh, they break it up there. We end up kicking the field goal. Nolan McCord drives it home, and, and, and good for him. And those one in Brandon Weeds probably at least a couple more weeks as he, uh, he comes back. He uh, tweaked something on a kickoff against NC State. That's why you haven't seen him since. He's not in any way in any trouble or anything. He's just, uh, just kind of working back into good health. All right, so then we get the ball back to them, and then uh, they're complete to uh, Calvin Austin for a one-yard loss. Judd Johnson all over that. We go back to Austin for 23, and he is their dude, no doubt. If he was a little bit bigger, he'd be in the SEC. Guy can really play. Uh, they're complete to Sean Dykes for seven, and then they rush. For, Brandon Thomas had a decent game for him, too. Ran for four and a first down. So they're moving down the field here for against us. And um, then uh, Gabriel Rogers goes for no gain. And they're complete to Brandon Thomas for a first down. So they're at our 32. They run it again for six. And then there's a chop block called against them on another one. It backs them up, makes it second 19. When they called it, I wasn't exactly sure what was happening there. But they call a chop block, and good for them. They elect to go for it on third down. Jalen Green with a big stick there. Makes it fourth and three. They go for it. And then Martin Emerson breaks up the pass. And you really felt like right then, okay, maybe we're okay. We're okay. It's a big stop. Kind of figured out some things they want to do. Well, we go right back to work. Absolutely right back to work. Complete to Polk for two and complete to Wally. Then we throw it up for grabs and Makai Polk beats two defenders. Now that's one there too where Will under threw it. But it's just about laying it up there, letting your guy go make a play. Fortunately for us, Polk did it. We talked about that all throughout camp, that Polk makes the contested catch. That's a guy that takes ownership of the football when it's within his catch radius. So it's a great play there. It was a huge play in the ballgame at the time. Takes us from our 27 to their 32. I mean, really a nice game there. We go back to Polk for five. We're complete to Austin Williams for three. Brings up a third and two. We go back to Polk on a possession play. First down, move the chains. Marks catches it for nine. It brings up a second one. They get him for no gain. I really thought he made it, but uh, thought we got a bad spot there. But it turns out not to be a factor. On third and one, we're complete to Polk for nine. It gives us a first and goal. And then Dylan Johnson runs it in for a touchdown. State takes a 10-7 lead there early in the second quarter. Felt pretty good about where life stood there. Really felt like with the remainder of this quarter that we were taking control of the ball game. I think you guys probably felt that same way too. I, I began to kind of – Breathe a little easier as we got closer to the half. Uh, Hennigan complete to Austin for a one-yard loss, then back to him for seven, and then an incomplete pass, and it's a three and out. So second offensive drive of the day from Memphis is a three and out. Arnett made some nice adjustments clearly uh, to kind of curtail Calvin Austin, but uh, they end up punting inside our 20. And again, we go right back to work here, right back to work. We talk about getting a fast start. Offensively, we did. I read a lot of stuff on message boards and social media, and then I go back and look at the box score, and I'm thinking this this was not exactly what was reported by others. But uh, So we're incomplete to Woody, and then we go back to uh, Marks for three, excuse me, and then there is the targeting penalty for 15. And, uh, yeah, he lowered his head. I mean, listen, I, I get it. It used to be, you know, really a football play, but, you know, we're trying to get that out of the game. 
It was targeting. Didn't take him long. I said brings up a first down. Then we're complete to Jaden Wally for 24. We go back to Marks for five. They thought that was targeting too. I didn't think it was in live action. I thought he got him on the shoulder. And then you see he kind of grazed the face mask. I was kind of glad the call didn't go the way it you – know, I thought the call was correct, that it wasn't targeting. But I understand him stopping to review it. Second five, we got the DJ. We get seven in the first down. We go back to Wiley for seven, gives us a second three at the Memphis 20. Uh, Jalil Clemens gets in our face there, and we throw a ball away, second and three. We end up having to call timeout there. Excuse me. On third and three, we uh, run Dylan Johnson. Offensive line really did a nice job here for 14. Uh, sets up a first and goal with the six, and we go right to Jaden Wiley. It is a 17-7 game, and at this point, I think we all thought, you know what, we're fixing to run away with this. We had three offensive drives to date. They hadn't stopped us yet. Like a knife through butter, we're going right down the field like we expected, maybe not quite as fast as we expected, but we're taking control of the ball game. Memphis gets the ball back and then uh, runs for 14. Nice gain for them. Emerson uh, and Johnson make a tackle there. Then it's incomplete to Austin. They rush for no yards. And then it's incomplete. So it's not a three and out. But within five plays, we're back on the field offensively. And this is a chance for us. We had a chance here to really take control of the ball game. And we have a self-inflicted injury that, that prevented that from happening. We're complete to Jameer for nine yards. Brings up a second and one. You got to convert second ones. We go complete to Jameer for nine more, and then we're called for holding. And it was holding. It was. We're rolling right. Didn't even have to hold. That's the thing, too. Is he Will was going to clear it, but you don't know that when your back is to the quarterback. But it was an unnecessary holding call on Scott. Puts a second 11. And then we give up a sack. And that was on Will. I mean, the pocket, you know, listen, the pocket kind of closed on him a little bit. Well, we got to get the ball out of there. So now it's third and 20. So we go from being out near midfield to being in a third and 20, and we end up having to punt uh, after the Dylan Johnson short run there. So, again, this again a lack of execution here after we put together, you know, three pretty good offensive drives, two of them, uh, you know, for touchdowns. But um, – I guess we had four offensive drives before this that were, that were fairly successful. One ended a turnover, other three ended in points. But this is the first time we really had an issue. This is the first time we didn't kind of, you know, sustain a drive. They get the ball back with just over a minute to go in the half. And then, you know, Seth Hennigan incomplete to Dykes, complete to Ivory for four, incomplete to Lewis. And there's a false start on them. And they have to punt. So now we get the ball back and uh, we take a sack, run the clock out. And that's halftime. But at 17-7, it felt like Mississippi State was comp- Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. That's right, the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year, and me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest, and we'd go up there, and just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing. The versatility of Tacovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tacovas does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. 
It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours too. Be sure and check them out. Tacovis believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink, and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom fitted for a new pair of Tacovis boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Completely in charge. In fact, there were a lot of Memphis fans leaving the game. All right, so we didn't get that drive to put the game away there in the uh, second quarter. We had a real chance in the third to do that. Memphis, of course, gets the ball first and really had a discombobulated possession to open open the half. Incomplete to Thomas, incomplete to Rodgers, complete to Thomas for a third for a fourth and one. They elect to go for it rather than run. They decide to run a little pass out there in the flats, and it gets tipped and picked off by Emmanuel Forbes, who returns it to the 14. So here we are with Memphis on the ropes. You know, just one shot here. This game is over. We go up 24-7 to here. This ball game is over because, you know, the game's going to get away from them. Because now all of a sudden you can't be quite as balanced on offense. You're playing from behind. You become one-dimensional, which would have allowed the, the state pass rush to take over. But we didn't do it. That's not what happens. This is this is we talk about you know the punt return. We talk about you know the two point conversions. We talk about all that stuff. This is to me this is the defining moment in the ball game. So we complete to Jernigan for seven, gets it down second and one at the Memphis five. Dylan Johnson runs for two, brings up a first and goal with the three. And this is what makes you sick. We're first and goal with the three, and we get nothing. And it's not like we turned it over. We get four shots inside the 10 after getting this first and goal, and we don't score. We swing it out to Jimmy Calvin. They're all over it, backs us up four. Then we're complete to Heath for five. I like that because Malik is strong enough and big enough to carry people in the end zone. But it brings up a third and two, and then we're incomplete to Makai Polk. It was broken up. I don't understand why we never ran down here. Not one, even, you know, first and goal at the three, give me four shots with uh, Woody and DJ, and I'm going to put that ball in the end zone. That's kind of what happens with the air raid at times when we get in tight down there. You get a little bottled up. I think you got to be able to have some power running game. I think we all know it. But uh, So we go forward on fourth and two, and I would have kicked. But I understand you know, if you get the touchdown, it is a three-possession game. If you don't get it, they've got 98 yards to go. They had 89 first-half yards. And so the well as your defense is playing, I kind of understand it. And, of course, we had the gift of hindsight. But I would have kicked because it's basically free points there. It's like they their first drive nets you a field goal. 
that allows you to go up 20 to 7. Yeah, I get it. It's still only a two-score game. But I, I kind of admire going for the jugular. And, of course, we can second-guess it to death because it didn't work out. But, uh, you know, we go to Austin Williams, riding around the goal line there. They break it up. Bat it down. <clears throat> so then Memphis puts together this uh, long drive. I'm not going to go through this whole thing here. But they go all the full 98 yards, and they score a touchdown. Touchdown pass to uh, Calvin Austin for 21 yards. Um, and that beats us. I really thought that they were going to call OPI there. They called holding on Emerson. You know, we're in contact there. And, he, you know, somebody pushed off. He was free. And there, Emerson's on the ground. But Emerson's called for holding. I, you know, I didn't get to see. Maybe he was slipping and grabbed him. I don't know. But nevertheless, it's 17-14. And you think, okay, we're okay. We'll get the offense going again. We'll, we'll be good here. We'll kind of get things going. Well, we don't. We come back out. We're complete to Polk for seven. Back to Polk for four. Gives us a first down. Incomplete to Calvin. Then there's a false start on Scott Lashley. And Scott's played well. I'm not going to pick on Scott. Uh, and, that bring, and that brings up a second 15. We're complete to Polk for 10, which gives us a manageable third down. Third and five, we're complete to Austin Williams for five. But he's right there at the sticks. He powers over for the first down. First and 10, we're complete to DJ for a yard. And then there is a uh, holding penalty. We're complete to Jameer Calvert. I don't know what the down and distance was after the catch, but they called holding two holdings. Excuse me, it's incomplete to Calvin. They call us for two holdings. They decline them both, brings up a third and nine. We try to go to Tulu there, and they break it up. There are a lot of people that say, well, you know, Tulu didn't play one offensive snap. That's not true. He was in a rotation. I don't exactly know the full participation charts. I've seen seven. I've seen nine offensive plays for him. we got to get him more involved. I mean, he is our fastest player on the field, You know, whether it be the slip screen or the bubble screen or whatever. we got to get him more involved. I mean, we got some guys that can play at wide receiver, but when you have a guy like him, if you miss a tackle with Tulu, it's a chunk play. We all know that. Got to get him more involved. We do. Then we get a 57-yard punt from Archer Trafford, who was uh, apparently won the job for Tucker Day. Tucker was very inconsistent against NC State. Thought Archer was good. Left-footed punter. Did a good job for us. But despite the fact that we didn't convert there offensively, defense stands tall again. Thomas goes for 13 and then for two, brings up a second and eight. They run for five, incomplete on third down. They punt. And then Jaden Wally probably should have just caught it and run out of bounds, but instead we, you know, we decided to cut back across the grain and then uh, they get us and we lose four on the return. So we're backed up at our eight. We run for four and then we're complete to Malik Heath, which gives us a first down out to the 19, which ends the third quarter. So at this point, you know, with – They've had the one sustained drive. Defense is playing really well. They got us in the fourth quarter, though. Fourth quarter, where Riders completed Jameer Calvin for two, second and eight. We go back to DJ, who runs for 10. And then they call Memphis for holding. You don't see that called very often, right? But they're basically trying to prevent, you know, an offensive lineman from getting out and setting a lead block or something. It's very rare to see defensive holding in the box, unless it's on an eligible receiver. But they called it here. And so now all of a sudden it's first and 10 out to our 41. You're thinking, okay, yeah, that, we've got a chance to go back up too. And I told Mike Neiman at the time, you got to feel like the way our defense is playing, if we score here, this game is over. That's how it felt. Dylan Johnson and runs for six. We're complete to Austin Williams for 12. We're across midfield into Memphis territory at their 41. And this is when things kind of bogged down for us. 
We go to Jernigan for one, then we're incomplete to Jernigan, and then we're incomplete to Heath, and we have to punt at the Memphis 40. We do the little uh, end-over-end deal, and then they catch it there at the 15. And again, defense stands up pretty tall here. You know, you're just thinking, we just need to get a score to put the game away. Defense is hanging in here with us. At the Memphis 15, they run for five, then there's no gain, incomplete to Ivory on third down. Jalen Green with a nice PBU there. A guy continues to play well for State. So it's a three and out. It's a three and out. Again, a chance for State to go put this game away. State's ball at their own 15. We're complete to Dylan Johnson for one. And then they call unnecessary roughness on Cole Smith. I haven't seen the play because I can't go back. I can't stand to go back and watch this. But he was in there. Maybe we're letting him get some snaps. Dollar Bill's been up and down. Um, but Cole's in there. And, and there's and I understand it was basically – somebody tried to explain to me it was a pancake, and then rather than just kind of stand there, we jump then on top of him, which is unnecessary. So now all of a sudden we're backed up again. We started losing the battle of field position here in the second half. So now it's second and uh, 17 from our eight. We're complete to Heath for six and incomplete to Polk. And we got a punt, and you knew at this point we were in trouble. And this is where we really needed uh, Archer to give us a big punt. We didn't get – we could have used that 60-yarder here. It's a 35-yard punt. Of course, he's in the end zones. So he's got to get it out quick. He re- And then uh, Calvin returns it to the 36. 35-yard punt, return 13 yards. So, again, you know, the battle of field position clearly favoring Memphis. Brandon Thomas runs for three. Brandon Thomas runs for two. Third and five, we feel like we got him right here. Right, third and five. They hadn't. They've had back-to-back, you know, bad offensive possessions. This is when they run the uh, little trick play, where the quarterback looks at the sidelines. They direct snap it to the running back. He runs ahead uh, for six yards. I didn't think they were set on the far side on our sidelines at wide receiver. And the flag comes down, and I thought that's what they were flagging. They give us a sideline warning. Not exactly sure what's happened there, but um, either way, it's a good play call by Memphis. And clearly it worked out. They get the first down. Then they come back. We're reeling a little bit, and they have the throwback uh, to Austin. It was a very well-designed play. I don't know who fell asleep on our side, but uh, he basically walks into the end zone. It was, uh, you know, again, a well-designed and executed play by Memphis. And now it's 21-17 Memphis in a game that it felt like we pretty much had control of much of the game, even though it was somewhat you know, precarious there in the third quarter. You know, we let them hang around, let them hang around, let them hang around, Well, now they're on top. We come right back, finally find some rhythm offensively, still can't complete the deal. So we're complete to Austin Williams for eight and back to Polk for ten, back to Williams for four, so we're out in their midfield at the 47. On second and six, we're incomplete to DJ. Third and six, incomplete to Wally, broken up by Sanchez Blake. Again, thought it could have been P.I. there. We had it. We will had to get it out quick. Jalen Allen was in his face really, really quickly. He bring the house there. I thought Memphis did a pretty good job, kind of bringing pressure on third down, kind of force some early throws. And then uh, Archer then uh, makes the punt. This is I'm not going to belabor this point. This is when we make the punt that is downed, downed the six yard line, and they return it for a touchdown. Absolutely ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. I've already said all I need to say about that. So now it's 28-17, and we feel like all is lost. It's a good thing the Bulldogs didn't. They continued to battle. We're complete to Heath for 14, which brings it out to the 43. We go back to DJ for four. We're at the Memphis 39. 
uh, Will Rogers then um, because we had to squib kick too. Remember they 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 wouldn't kick it to Tulu much. They did a little bit. Um, Back to Heath on second six for five, which takes it to the 34. DJ runs for 10. Thought DJ really ran hard. He and Marks both like to see more running. I mean, I'm not against the air raid, but I think when we're getting, we're running the ball as well as we were, especially against a tired defense. Um, we need to take advantage of that. First and 10 at their 24, we go to Dylan Johnson, complete for 15. Then we're back to Malik Heath, nine yards for a touchdown. And then uh, we go for two. And it was good, but there was holding on the play. So now we back it up. We, you know, we, we throw it to Malik Heath. That would have brought us within three. There's holding, and then we go for it. We don't get it. We kick the onside kick, and we get it. And then they weren't sure what they wanted. They wanted to go review it to see if we – it was clearly there was not touching. There was clear that nobody touched it. Well, then they call the illegal block on Sherman Thames, and people wonder – well, how can they assess the penalty? That is one of the allowable things. So maybe your quarrel is with the rule rather than uh, the actual play. I mean, Sherman was up there just trying to shield a little bit, so they called the illegal block. I don't know that it was necessary, but that it was it was the right call. Based on the definition of the rule, it was the right call. So we do it again. We, we try it again, and um, Memphis actually touches it this time. And we had a chance to get on it, and we couldn't get on it. I've seen some people kind of question the wisdom of, of going the on, doing the onside kick again. We nearly got it again. Uh, if you kick deep there, it probably prevents them from getting the, the cheap field goal. But uh, well, and, I, and to be fair, what do you think cheap about the field goal? The guy absolutely destroyed it. So they started our 37, up by five. Hennigan runs for a one-yard gain. We had him hemmed up in the back there and let him get loose. We call timeout. Thomason runs for three. We call timeouts. And then there's a false start, which is a huge penalty at the time. Backs it up to our 38, brings up a third and 11. They run, and everybody in the press box says, oh, you got to throw it. I told Nemo, there is no chance they're going to throw this football. None whatsoever. They run. They let the clock run down and uh, kick a 51-yard field goal. Career long. And then somebody in the box said this kid hadn't kicked a field goal since high school. That one, you know, I don't know if it had been good from 52, but it was good from 51. Puts him up eight. So you feel like, you know, worst-case scenario if you're Memphis is going to be tied. Well, State comes right back and scores. One of our most expedient drives of the year. We're complete to Malik for 29 and then go back to Polk for 36 and a touchdown. Two-play drive from our 35 into the end zone. And then we go for two and uh, have a chance to tie it. And uh, – they're just kind of sitting there camped at the goal line, and, and uh, Will's not able to get in. And I hated it. I hated it for Will. hated it for us. It's 31-29 ball game, and you know at this point the game is over. We tried onside kick. We don't get it. Had a chance to, but we didn't. And then they go into victory formation and run the clock out. It is a 31-29 decision. Let's look at some of these numbers real quick here. You know, it's like – I'm not going to sit here and be, you know, some Pollyanna and say, well, there were some good things you can feel about. You know, there were a couple – so there were some guys that played well. But we left a lot of points on the field. Like we mentioned before, you go for two twice and then you don't take the field goal. That's five points. Those five points could have made a big difference. You know, it's not to say that Memphis didn't go down and score another touchdown. You never know what's going to happen in the flow of the game. There's 29 points scored in the fourth quarter. We only had 12 of them. Looking at the individual stats, Will Rogers, 50 of 67, 419 yards and three touchdowns. Had two sacks, 
I think both of those were on him. And I'm not, that's not just me assigning blame. I think, you know, both of those, you got to get the ball out. I think, I think one of those, the pocket collapsed probably a little quicker than he was expecting. Uh, Seth Hennigan, kind of pedestrian numbers, 16 of 28 for 159, a couple touchdowns and the interception, uh, just the one sack. And that was kind of problematic, too. There were times that we got there, we just couldn't finish the play. And give him some credit, too, for having some ability and getting out of the pocket there. Uh, Dylan Johnson, seven attempts for 49 yards, did not have a negative play. J.J. Jernigan, two for five. Uh, Woody, four for seven, and they had the loss of six for a net of one. Woody was hit pretty hard. You know, he left and did not return. His mother posted yesterday that they did an MRI and the results were, were favorable. There is not a serious injury. And so uh, not sure what his availability will be at LSU, but we do expect him to return uh, sooner rather than later. Uh, Receiving-wise, Makai Polk, 11 grabs for 136 yards and one touchdown. That's a big game. Malik Heath, 9 for 88 and a touchdown. Jaden Wiley, 5 for 58. Austin Williams, 6 for 44. Woody, 6 for 39. DJ, 7 for 32. Jernigan, 3 for 15. Jameer Calvin, 3 for 7. You know, I don't – I think we've done that slip screen so much with him, people are looking for it because two times we tried to run it and they were all over it. Uh, too low, not a single catch. That, and, again, that's got that's to change. William more explosive playmakers. We've got to find a way. And, again, I don't know his full situation. I don't know if he's dinged up a little bit, but he can't be hurt too bad because he's got to return kicks, right? Uh, so, here's the deal. We played well enough offensively to win a ball game. We played well enough defensively to win a ball game. Maybe didn't play as well special teams-wise as we should have, but we played well enough to win a ball game. And then we didn't win a ball game. Those are things you look at. We left a lot of plays out there defensively. Chance to get off the field, we blew it. We had a chance to move the chains, put some more points on the board, and we blew it. It was a total team loss. And that's the thing you look at when these games like this. It's, it's so easy to kind of pick and choose this play or that play. Or, it all matters when you lose by two. It all matters. And, again, I go back to the point where people say, well, you know, Steve – we shouldn't have been in that position in the first place, but we were. And it doesn't negate the fact that there was gross incompetence by the officials. Now, let's say you take the punt return away. Let's say they get that thing correct. That that doesn't excuse the fact that at times we kind of go into a shell offensively. So, yeah, there are things we can and must do better because there is going to be injustice in life. I don't know that it will ever be as egregious as that again. But both things can be true. Yeah, we got, we got cheated. But we also didn't play exceptionally well on either side of the football. And it's like, well, you know, defense, you know, listen, nah. Zach Arnett, Zach Arnett's going to make any excuses for us giving up 31 points and 24 of those against the defense. I can promise you, Zach Arnett, there's no way he looked at that, that, that film and said, yeah, we were great. We had some good moments. We had some other times, too, we had our hands on footballs, chances to get interceptions and couldn't complete the play. So there is enough room for blame to go around. And that's the thing. It's, you know, I guess the, the misery in the whole thing. You know, is it, you know, it's easy to go back to that tech game and say, you know, we didn't even play well. We found a way late. Same thing with NC State. It's like we won the ball game convincingly, but we still didn't play well. We still haven't played our best game probably going to need it this week and you go up to memphis and you know it's first road game it's kind of their super bowl and uh you know it's just 
it's just insanity to me that we go up there and don't handle business the way we should have. And again, give Memphis credit. They did. Give them credit. They made the place to win late. We didn't. And yeah, we probably mismanaged some things. I don't think there's any question. You know, as a coach, you know, everybody's got the little card and everything. I don't believe in chasing points until you have to. And again, this is just not necessarily being, you know, Monday morning quarterback, you know, about Mike Leach. But, you know, I think you kicked the extra points, you kicked the field goal. It's, just, it's a different day and time. It's a different discussion, you know. But that's your ball game. Let's get into today's top ten list. This segment of the show brought to you by CampusBookmart.net. Longtime sponsors of the show. Love those people to death. If you're in town, go by and see Stan the Man, Miss Kathy Brown, loving, talented Susie. They'll take care of you. They'll help you outfit your family in latest maroon and white fashions. You need to go by and check them out. They're good people. They're excited to help you. If you can't make it to town, visit them at campusbookmart.net. Again, that's campusbookmart.net. And use promo code BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll save you shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. It's about to be hoodie season for regular people, you know, like, my teenager wears hoodies like all the time, no matter what the temperature is. Uh, so it's always hoodie season for him, but it's about to be hoodie season for everybody else. So maybe upgrade your hoodies today at campusbookmart.net. Let's get today's top 10 list. So we had a discussion uh, about LA Guns on Twitter, and somebody said, Hey, Steve, can we get LA Guns top 10? So, Laddie Weems, this is for you. He's actually asked for LA Guns twice. And so, but this time he asked, and Ace Von Johnson, who is the rhythm guitar player and L.A. Guns, liked the tweet and uh, sent out some claps. So, Ace, we're doing this for you. Former uh, guitar player from Faster Pussycat is with L.A. Guns. Now, let me give you a little backstory in L.A. Guns. For those of you who don't know, L.A. Guns, Tracy Guns, one of the original members of Guns N' Roses. Thus, the Guns N' Roses, Axl Rose and Tracy Gun, Guns and Roses. There you go. Well, trivia for you, in case you didn't know. Slash, of course, eventually replaced Tracy Guns. Uh, Tracy and his band, uh, L.A. Guns, actually had some great hits, too. And here's the thing that I'll tell you. So a couple things. So when I was in Mr. Sweeney's American history class in high school, we have, that was our lunch period. And so we would have to go drop our stuff off, and then we'd have to lie. He had nicknames for everybody in the class. I was one of those that didn't have a nickname. And so people would come in and write their names on the board as they dropped off their stuff. So when Mr. Swinney got back from lunch, he could just take roll that way while we were all eating. And so I didn't have a nickname. So I just, I loved LA Guns at the time. And so I went with E. Gypsy, which is Electric Gypsy, their first big single. And so that goes, so that's how long I've been an LA Guns fan. I love LA Guns. And here's the thing, too, that I'll share with you that I think a lot of people, they think L.A. and Guns and all these guys came from the 80s. They don't really have an 80s sound. Like, I see people talk about glam metal. That's not L.A. Guns. L.A. Guns is a straight-ahead rock and roll band. I think that's one of the reasons that they're still out there selling albums and uh, they've been able to sustain you know, some success. They've had some, some longevity. You know, there, there's been some, uh, some pruning to the family tree at times. You know, some guys have left and come back. But uh, Phil Lewis, the singer, and Tracy Guns, that's L.A. Guns to me. I know Steve Riley is a guy that played uh, drums for them for a while, and then there was some disputes, and now he calls his version of L.A. Guns Steve Riley's L.A. Guns, and that's cool too. Best of luck, Steve. But uh, to me, the true L.A. Guns has Phil Lewis 
on vocals and Tracy Guns on guitar. So I got a couple of honorable mentions to throw it at you. It's um, it's over now. Is a great ballad. And then one more reason, which is kind of in your face off that self-titled L.A. Guns album that started it all. Okay, so I'm going to share a couple things, too. The the later albums from L.A. Guns are really, really good. So, like, if you were into L.A. Guns back in the day, there's a new day of L.A. Guns. The last couple of albums that the true L.A. Guns has released are phenomenal. Now, there is an album out there on iTunes that is L.A. Guns Renegades. That is Steve Riley's L.A. Guns. And so, and I would probably like that better if it wasn't called L.A. Guns, because it's not. It doesn't have Phil or Tracy in it. So if you go listen to that album, it's not going to sound the same. It's not going to be as good. And uh, it's not going to have Phil Lewis on vocals. So, so here we go. My top 10. Number 10, off the album The Devil You Know, which came out a couple years ago, and I'm, I'm going to throw a curveball at you right here. There are a lot of people out there that will say, you know, well, I love this album because of this song. The album The Devil You Know from L.A. Guns is their most solid album. Now, it may not have the MTV Airplay or the radio play, but if like as far as start to finish, it is a great album. It, in my mind, it is the most complete of the L.A. Guns albums. And again, that, that album is just a couple years old. So stay away, number 10 on the list. The new single... I like it enough to put it in the top 10. From the forthcoming album, Checkered Past, that'll be out in November, they have released three singles already off this album. Um, I like them all. I like this one the best. Uh, Cannonball. Cannonball. I shared it on Twitter. That's what kind of started the discussion the other day. I love the guitar on it. If you're looking for a guitar album or song, this is it. That's one of the things that I love about LA Guns too. It's just plug and play. Like there's not a whole lot of uh, you know backing tracks and a lot of industrial stuff. A lot of people have this big layered sound today. LA Guns is just a straight rock and roll band. That's what they do, and that's what Cannonball is. It is it's a great vintage sounding, modern sounding at the same time track. Cannonball, I love it. You will too. Number eight, the self-titled album off the uh, the Devil You Know album is The Devil You Know, of course. Uh, I think this is a spectacular track. If you don't know the L.A. Guns catalog, I think when you go back and listen to some of those earlier albums, you really love the tone of the guitar, but sometimes, especially some of the deeper tracks, are a little bit disjointed. Not the case on the Devil You Know album. It's very cohesive. The guitar is fantastic. Phil is fantastic. And again, I think it is their most complete album from start to finish. Looking forward to hearing the rest of Checkered Past. Number seven, going back to Cocked and Loaded, which is considered by many the definitive L.A. Guns album. The first song I ever learned to play on drums. How about that? So I didn't know you play drums. Well, I don't play them well, and I haven't played in years. But I spent a summer, uh, and a, a friend of mine, Spencer Thomas, had drums, and we, I would go to his house, and then we had the co- he had the Cocked and Loaded album. And I think before the summer was over, we learned how to play every song on that album. And now maybe that's an indictment on, on Steve Riley's drumming, but uh, I'm not being, being critical of him too much. But, you know, it's just kind of twos and fours. You know, a lot of this is just kind of baseline blues rock type stuff and uh but we yeah, we, we killed it we had a great summer and uh really enjoyed that but the, the first song that i learned to play on drums rip and tear by la guns 
I listened to that. I've had so much fun the last couple of days listening to L.A. Guns and kind of reliving some of this. And there's some of these things that are on my normal playlist, but I got a little deeper in preparation for this list. But there you go, Rip and Tear. Number six, back to the first album. It's Sex Action. And this is one of those with a big chorus. This one sounds a little more 80s. It was kind of true to the time, but it still holds up today. Love the guitar. Love Phil's vocals. I mean, it's just consistently great. Number five, off the album Hollywood Vampires. This is one of those songs It's like the first time I heard it, I'm like, I, I've heard this before. Where, where have I heard this before? Is this a cover? If I heard this on a bootleg somewhere, but it's not. It's Kiss My Love Goodbye off the Hollywood Vampires album. But it has this sound, the familiarity. It's like you hear it, and it's like, yeah, surely I've heard this before. And it's a great, great song. Of course, it's, you know, it's a breakup song. But it's one of those, uh, you know, you know, glass in the air, arms around your friends, kind of singing the chorus together. It's kind of anthemic. It's a great tune. Kiss My Love Goodbye off the Hollywood Vampires album. Number four. I don't know that many people would have this in the top five for L.A. Guns. I do, and there are certain times in my life I could have made this number one. I love this song. I know the guitar, like the, the during the verses, the guitar is pretty basic, and I can pick most of this out. But I love the attitude. I love the machismo of this song. I love Phil on the song. It's I Want to Be Your Man. It is the final track on the Cocked and Loaded album. It's the last song on the album, and they really close strong. I think Tracy's guitar on this is great. Even though, again, the verses, it's just kind of basic. I think his runs in this are great. The solo is great, too. Number three, we've already talked about this song. The one that got it all started for me is Electric Gypsy. It was just it was a little bit loud and aggressive and kind of in your face. That was the thing, too, is like back in those days, I was getting so tired of the Revlon rocker thing, right? Um, Because that was kind of what we were getting. We were getting all these pretty boys and, you know, and listen, as much as I like some of that stuff, that stuff got stale. L.A. Guns didn't. They didn't. And that's the thing. I think they're kind of unfairly maligned by some people that believe, oh, they're just, you know, some Hollywood band. They're not, man. They're basically a Barker excuse me, bar, a biker bar band, Barker, goodness gracious, a biker bar band, you know, that these guys are legit, there's some authenticity with LA guns, all right, so number two, and it's probably the one you've been waiting for, many of you think, oh, it's got to be number one, it's not number one, I don't like to have ballads number one, though I could have really made a case for this one, even now when I hear this, I mean, I think Phil's vocals are so haunting on this song, it's a ballad of Jane, and for many of you, it may be the only L.A. Gun song you know. You owe it to yourself to listen to today's top ten list. You do. I would never steer you wrong when it comes to music. Never. Ballad of Jane, though, is one of those songs. A lot of, like, a lot of those uh, power ballads are really kind of sappy back in the day. You know, this, is not, this one is about, you know, someone passing away. And so it's not really, you know, hey, will you be my girlfriend type stuff? But now she's breaking hearts in heaven. That line still gets me. I mean, even all these years later, even though I've known this, you know, forever and a day, there's some authenticity to the song. And that, that's the thing that that's what holds up over time. It's not this, you know, chasing trends and flashing the pan stuff. It's when people sing their hearts, people remember that. That's how Ballad of Jane is. But number one, and I'm sure Tracy Guns gets tired of playing this one, 
but it's kind of the sing-along song, but it's never enough off Cocked and Loaded. It's never enough just to hold you. It's never enough just to please you. Oh, baby, it's never enough. It never is. That's your, that's your top ten list today, L.A. Guns. Uh, again, love those guys. If you have a chance to get out and see them, let me encourage you to do so. You will be amazed. Just because there are so many bands that can only pull it off in a studio, and that's the problem with kind of today's, uh, you know, kind of industrial-type sound and overproduced sound is you can't pull it off live. L.A. Guns is even better live than they are in the studio. And there are several live albums available on uh, iTunes and Spotify and everything else. I think you'll be impressed by that, too, because Phil can still do it. And there are a lot of people from the 80s that can't hit those notes anymore. Uh, Phil absolutely can, and I know Tracy can. That guy, prob- Tracy Guns is probably the most underappreciated guitarist from that era. I don't think there's any question. I don't know that he gets nearly enough credit uh, for his play. And, and listen, he and Ace, great follows on Twitter uh, for sure. So there you go, your L.A. Guns top ten, laddie. Hope you approve. If you guys have an idea for the top ten list, reach out, let me know. We'll talk about it. Roy's keeping a list, checking it twice. But today we had to be more naughty than nice. L.A. Guns, in your face. Final segment of the show, and uh, we're not going to do a hero today because I had so much other stuff going on, is uh, brought to you by Portico. We're going to talk a little bit about kind of review the rest of the league. Uh, Portico, good friends, basically family, right? Brooks Bryan robbed a home run against the University of Washington to send us to Omaha. This guy has earned your business, and he has earned your respect and earned your love. Brooks Bryan, former Diamond Dog. Love Brooks, man, you will too. Listen, Portico is a great place to live. If I was moving to Starkville now, it's where I would move, without question. It's right off 12, just south of 82. So when you come off 82, you take that turn, the very first right is Pat Station Road that'll take you to Portico. It's 1.1 miles from campus. How cool would that be? That's the reason you moved to Starkville in the first place. Yeah, many of you can move somewhere in the city and have to battle traffic. I would love to not have to deal you know, with game day traffic and getting bogged down on 12. And I yeah, just, I don't want to have to do it. I live out in the sticks now, but if I lived in town, I'd live, I'd live at Portico. You get a two-bedroom, two-bath house, four-bedroom, four-bath house. They got that great walking trail out there. Phase one completion is done. Phase two underway. This is an exciting time to be a Bulldog, an exciting time to be here. And listen, we're going to be defending a national championship in baseball next year. You're going to be here for every game. Why not have a place here? Rather than commute, just have a place here. Whether you're moving to making it your primary residence or maybe it's an investment property for you or just your ball game retreat for your weekends in Starkville, make Portico your next move. Give Brooks our friend a call. Let me give you his number again. Many of you probably already have it and just hadn't made the call. Let me encourage you to make that call today. And you, and you can text him. This is his personal cell. This isn't like, you know, through some automated system or something. 601-416-8075. Again, 601-416-8075. Again, make Portico your next move. All right, let's take a look around the league. I'm sure you've been uh, you've seen the scores by now. Maybe you hadn't. Of course, Texas A&M, 34-0 winners over New Mexico. We didn't expect that to be much of a ball game. It wasn't. Uh, Kentucky struggles with UT Chattanooga. Watch a little bit of that game. They had to get a pick six to put it a game, the game away. Kentucky 28-23 winners. Just when many in the uh, SEC media 
were suggesting you know, that Kentucky offense ready to take off. They struggle against the mocks, but they do win. So Kentucky now 3-0. and So what's the deal with that a little bit longer? But, uh, you know, you begin to look at that too. It's like, you know, we hadn't played well. They hadn't necessarily played well either. Glad we get that one here. But, uh, you know, we'll see. I know there's some people out there who would say, you know what, State's probably going to lose that game. I don't. I still don't believe so. I think we'll. I think being here will matter. Uh, Missouri all over Semo, 59-28. Again, you know that Missouri defense not quite up to snuff. Offensively, they're great. Again, I'm a believer they're going to upset somebody. Tennessee destroys Tennessee Tech, 56 nothing. Tennessee also without uh, several players, just kind of sitting some guys, I guess, for the FCS to kind of let them get better. I'm not sure there's any major issues there. Maybe suspensions. Who knows. Uh, the game of the week, Alabama-Florida, and uh, give it to Florida for really hanging here, making this thing a ball game. Every time it seemed like Alabama was ready to run away, I had to go back and look at some of this stuff after the fact because I was just so dejected after we lost. I didn't really care. Um, but, you know, this was interesting. Oh, my gosh. I can't stand these people with this auto start ads. If I want to, if I want your ad, I'll click on it. But, um, but you know, it's uh, – 31-29 final for Alabama. And Alabama jumps on them 21-3, and you're thinking, okay, it's the same old thing. Here they go. Alabama's going to blow out Dan again. But Florida didn't quit. And so give Dan and those guys some credit. It's a 21-9 game at the half. And then next thing you know, Florida wins the third quarter, and they creep a little bit closer. Right? Because now all of a sudden, you know, it's a it's a 28-23 ball game. They're within a possession going to the fourth. Alabama's certainly not used to that, having a battle. And then they had to kick a field goal, basically, and, and then hang on there. And then they win 31-29. It was uh, absolutely insane how that thing worked. Florida scores late on a Damian Pierce run. They go for two to tie it. They don't get it. That's a difference in the ballgame. But listen, the last two times that Florida and, and Alabama have gotten together, of course, the last one being the SEC championship game, and then this one, you know, it's been a ball game. And if memory serves me correct, you know, Alabama's had the big lead and Florida just hadn't quit and they've hung in there and just kind of kept battling. So give the staff credit. But at the end of the day, Dan Mullen, 0 and 11, is a head coach against the University of Alabama. Hey, Georgia beats up on South Carolina pretty good, 40-13. No real surprise there. Penn State beats Auburn 28-20. Again, not a real surprise there, but, you know, I thought Auburn went and competed well. LSU 49-21 winners over Central Michigan. Probably a little more offense than I expected from LSU. They get up early 21-7 and then put the game away there in the second quarter. It's 35-7 at the break. I really thought Central Michigan would compete a little bit more. They did not. And then, of course, LSU just kind of manages from there. And, again, LSU, three non-conference games to begin the year. And so we'll kind of see how things, uh, you know, progress with them. But um, rather interesting, to say the least, uh, results out of Baton Rouge. And then Ole Miss, uh, 61-21 winners over Tulane. You know, if we talked about we expected Tulane to score. We didn't think they could score with Ole Miss, and Ole Miss puts up 61. And so, obviously – uh, things working well up there in Oxford. And, again, Matt Corral with a huge day uh, for the Rebels. And then Stanford goes into Nashville, beats Vanderbilt 41-23. That was a game for a while, but then, you know, Vanderbilt kind of wore down, which you expect that with their their lack of depth. I mean, I guess maybe if they hadn't wasted so much time at baseball games, 
sit on top of the dugout, catcalling our players. Maybe they could spend a little more time in the gym and, and uh, with their own physical fitness, and they wouldn't wear down uh, late in ball games. Okay, as I mentioned earlier, we'll have Mike Leach uh, around 2, 2.30 today. You'll have full coverage of that over at jeanspage.com. Yeah, we got some questions ready to go. I'm really curious about, you know, what is our procedure on instant replay? And, uh, again, in, in some ways it's kind of mocks Knicks just because of the fact that, um, you know, the SEC has a protocol to ensure that all scoring plays are reviewed. And so it's like, ah, oh, you know, well, why don't we challenge it? Well, there's no point in challenging a play or asking for review of a play that is automatically being reviewed. But I'm just kind of curious. It just kind of got me thinking what's his procedure uh, kind of behind this. But um, the bottom line is we lost a ball game we shouldn't have, and now we're going to be kind of chasing that the rest of the year. There's no way you get it back. Because if you go beat LSU this weekend, it's like, oh, we, we should be 4-0, right? And so it's like there's no way you ever get it back. You just don't. Now, if we'd lost NC State and beaten Memphis, I wouldn't feel any better. You know, it's still two and one in a year that, you know, we're probably going to win, you know, six, maybe seven games. And, you know, now you're starting to look at the schedule and kind of start counting wins and kind of wondering where we're going to come from. And so we have really made life more interesting for ourselves because we went up there and dropped the ball game. But, again, there's some problems with this team, but I don't think there's anything that's not correctable. That's that's the thing that I kind of – I see people that make these – you know, broad judgment, this offense won't work in the SEC. Well, I, I think it will, and I think in some respects it is working. I think you've got a young quarterback that's playing before he's ready. I mean, do you, what do you think this offense looks like with, you know, a redshirt junior or whatever like Matt Corral running the offense? You think it'd be better? Because, like, that's the thing. It's like it can't be the offense and the quarterback. Because it's like, oh, well, you know, these guys are running wide open and uh, Will doesn't hit them. Okay, so that's Will. That's not the offense. If guys are getting open and maybe the quarterback's not seeing them or maybe just Nate doesn't have the confidence to quite let it go yet, that tells me that once he develops that confidence that the offense will run more proficiently. So it'd be different if guys weren't getting open. But guys are getting open. I mean, and by many, any of our, some of our more harsh critics will point that out. Hey, we got wide receivers running wide open, and we're not making the play. Well, that tells me that the scheme is working. We just got to get our quarterback a little more experience to understand. Hey, this is what you need to look for. You got to hit this guy. You got to let it go. And that all comes in time. What is he making his tenth start of his college career this weekend? Started six games last year. Got three this year. And so, it's gonna be a big ball game. And listen, Will Rogers. Doesn't need me to defend him. This is a guy that's having to play before he's ready, right? But he's playing admirably. He's going to make mistakes every ball game. I mean, it's just that's kind of life and time for a young quarterback. People forget, you know, life wasn't so easy when Dak was here either. I'm not in any way comparing the two, but I'm just kind of kind of getting back around to our line of thinking. You know, I remember there were many people in the Mississippi State fan base that said Dak Prescott would never play quarterback in the NFL. He'd be a tight end or he'd be a, you know, something. But he wasn't going to be a quarterback because his accuracy wasn't good, his arm strength wasn't good. And, you know, he goes on the road last yesterday and beats San Diego and puts together a late drive to set up a game-winning field goal to get a big road win. And so, you know, let's not have a revisionist history because there were a lot of people 
you know, upset with Dak at times. Yeah, but he was such an electrifying playmaker at times he can kind of, you know, play through his own inadequacies as a passer at the time. He was a work in progress, but he made it happen for himself. And so I look at Will, you know, where was the people remember people forget, you know, it took some took some time for Dak to kind of get going too. You know, he had to share some time with Tyler Russell, but he had the benefit of having a veteran around him that, that could kind of shoulder the load a little bit while he figured some things out. You know, Will doesn't have that luxury. And so I just encourage you to just have a little patience here. You know, getting aggravated at each other is not going to change anything. I mean, it's not. It's not going to change anything. And it's so easy. Like, I don't understand why you don't come around to my, way, my line of thinking that this needs to change. Whether, whether they agree with you or not doesn't mean those things are going to change. Just because you and I are agreed doesn't mean that somebody's going to lose a job or gain a job or plays getting called or whatever. And so, yeah, just, you know, I'm, I'm a live and let live guy, but I, I just don't see the value in us turning on each other. Bottom line is this team needs a win. And it's going to be difficult to get one this weekend. You know, LSU's going to come in here with a lot of talent and, uh, you know, revenge in their hearts. And I read yesterday somebody said, oh, they're, you know, they're going to be out for blood. Guys, they're out for blood every week in the SEC on every field, every team in this league. Nobody needs any extra motivation in an SEC football game. That's just the reality of life. Now, will they be up to play us? Absolutely. Are we going to have to play? Well, you better believe it. Be back with you guys on Wednesday. We'll kind of recap where we are. We'll have some media opportunities, of course, with Leach today. We'll get coaches and players Tuesday and Wednesday and be able to share that with you guys uh, in the coming days. Again, if you hadn't been to jeanspage.com, you should. If you hadn't done so, go to dogpilethebook.com and uh, pre-order your copies of Dogpile. A lot of people, I, I shared on the show a lot, shared on social media a lot, still get a lot of messages about where do I order. Dogpilethebook.com. And it'll be, it's still going to be a few weeks, probably several weeks before that book's available. So, uh, but you go ahead and pre-order and guarantee you that you get a book. And so just so you guys know, I'm not, just because you pre-order doesn't mean that I get paid. I don't get paid until all this stuff is done. So uh, just kind of understand how life works you know, for me as well. I, I've worked real hard on this book and uh, eager for you guys to have it in your hands. You, while you're there, you can get copies of Flim Flam, Stark Villains, and Alpha Dogs. If you're looking for Blooms of Oleander, you can get that at Amazon.com or your local bookstore. If you're looking for Stark Villains gear, go to StarkVillains.com. That's going to do it for today. Thanks so much for your support of the Boneyard low these many years. We'll see you next time. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.